I went down to the river to watch the fish swim by. But I got to the river so lonesome I wanted to die. Oh, Lord. And then I jumped in the river, but the doggone river was dry. She's long gone and now I'm lonesome blue. Okay, welcome. This is Ryan Hetzer and this is a podcast called Long Gone. This is the episode number 11. And it's been a little while, um, mainly because something we're remedy today. Uh, I felt like in the first 10 that I did, I just always felt a little bit awkward being alone and um, just kind of talking to myself. I would listen back to it at times and just feel as if, you know, kind of my true personality wasn't able to come out. And so I mentioned a few different times during those podcasts, wanting to get some guests in and have someone to play off of. I mean, even the, the best broadcasters or professional broadcasters um, can't always just carry a, a radio show or a podcast all by themselves. It's it's more of a format. So I have today my brother, Scott Hetzer, with us, and uh, we're going to be kicking around uh, some cardinal topics mainly, maybe a few other things we'll get into. Um, so, Scott, how are you doing? Say hello. I'm doing good. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. Scott and I, um, you know, I've, I live in Morocco and Scott is in uh, St. Louis. So this is truly a, a intercontinental effort. And it's about, what, a nine in the morning there and about four in the yeah. afternoon here. So we're also on completely different uh, time zones. and But we're able to finally hook this up and uh, get together. So um, we're going to... I always for a few, on a few of the different podcasts I kind of give the the background of the name the title of the podcast being long gone and you know the baseball fans like to discuss baseball movies and their favorites and there's this little hidden gem that a lot of people don't know about you and I kind of grew up watching it together and it's called Long Gone I think it was produced by HBO um and uh I think it was only on HBO uh, back in the day when HBO wasn't producing a lot of original content like they do now. And uh, anyway, it's a great baseball movie. If you've never had the chance to see it, I, I think, I think Scott, you found a DVD of it on um, online somewhere, didn't you? Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, you can't find it all the time, but every once in a while, if you go on like eBay. Uh, you'll be able to find uh, the long gone movie on DVD. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll search every once in a while. I'll search and I keep meaning to buy it. And I, I don't know why I don't, but because um, I really need to. But uh, you can uh, every once in a while it is on there and you can buy it. I believe also if you search it on YouTube, uh, I believe the movie is in full on YouTube also. Yeah. Um, it's a little grainy um, through there, but you can still watch it. And it is. Uh, Without a doubt, um, in my opinion, one of one of the I mean, if not the best, I, I, I love the movie. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a top 
top baseball movie that never gets talked about and many people don't know about. And it's just, it's got everything, you know, yeah. baseball, um, it's funny. Uh, the characters in there are good. Um, you kind of can see how it would be if like there was a minor league baseball guys, you know, just being guys and it's, it's, it's good. It's top. It's a top notch movie that, uh, I wish more people, uh, more people would know about. Yeah. You know, you always see the, the list best baseball movies every now and again you'll see somebody put one out and you just never see long gone ever mentioned and to me yeah i mean it's right up there with with uh, any of the best um what uh, putting you on the spot a little bit what what are some of your what's a favorite scene or two of yours that that you like from the movie oh i mean the the the, the best uh you know stud can stud cantrell and they're in the uh now it's been a it's been a while since i've seen the movie so i might get it uh get it a little wrong but he's in he's in a he's in like a bar or something and he's talking to this uh you know young good looking gal and um uh, his buddies are you know all the teammates are in the bar and stuff like that and he's talking to her and i forget exactly what she says but he kind of to play it up a little bit to look good in front of his buddy he stands up and he's like twenty dollars <laughs> and uh basically uh you know saying that she's offering him something and he kind of walks off and it's just the way he says it it's it's uh i, I probably didn't do it justice the way i no you it. did but i, I think it's been I, a while but it, it's hilarious i think she says something about getting married or Maybe she's moving in with him or something like that. And yeah, you're right. Yeah. He, he jumps up. He's like twenty dollars. <laughs> I love I love that part. Stud Cantrell is one of the all time great. I mean, you look. I mean, like a, the name too. Yeah. I mean, how do you have a name like Stud Cantrell and not just be a great character? Yeah, it's it's a great character and just a kind of he's a former stud. He tells a story in the movie uh, for Cardinal fans actually where he, he come up through the Cardinal organization and he says, um, um, he tells a story at one point how he almost made it to the big leagues. He said he was one spring was, was going to compete. It was going to be him and another rookie for an outfield position. And he's like, you know, there was me. And then there was this fellow from Denora, Pennsylvania who batted peeking around the corner. And, you know, he's talking about yep. Stan Musial. And he goes, you know, then he goes into the story saying it would have been a hell of a fight. Wish I'd have been there. And he talks about how he joined the the uh, Marines after Pearl Harbor and took shrapnel and which I don't even I'm not sure that's exactly historically accurate. But uh, um, anyway, uh, Stud Cantrell, great. My my uh, quick contribution and we'll move on from that. But uh, I love the scene where you've got. Uh, the young kid who's, I don't know, probably 19 or 20 years old, Jamie Don Weeks is a second baseman, and he shows up at his door wanting a tryout, and uh, he lets Jamie in, and, he, and he's got a naked girl on his bed. And you can see like, this Jamie Don Weeks has probably never seen a naked woman in his life. <laughs> he he's staring, yeah, at the, he's staring at the bed and, like, you know, keeps looking at this girl while the stud is trying to talk to him and he's like got his mouth wide open. And well, then, also if you know, if you know the movie or see the movie, you'll realize the character Jamie Don Weeks is very, uh, uh, like religious and religious and, you know, yeah, he's, uh, so it's something that he's not, uh, accustomed to seeing. For yeah. But then the, the, the scene continues on, which is great. And I mean, when you talk about the baseball realism of the movie, you know, you watch some baseball movies and it's just like the 
the baseball part of it is terrible. And they go after he takes him over to the ballpark and, uh, you know, starts hitting them ground balls. And, you know, he, he's like a whiz. He's a defensive wizard at second base. He's making all these great plays and stuff. And you could just kind of see like stud Cantrell's like, okay, you know, we got something here. And, uh, and then he, the one final, uh, another fun, funny line from that is after he sees all the defensive plays, he runs in. He's like, you want to see me hit now? He's like, what for? He's like, I know you can't hit, but 200, but he's <laughs> he basically just yeah. signs him just cause he's a, a hell of a good second baseman. Doesn't even want to see him hit. All right. Well, well until you're to your point real quick. <laughs> yeah. About you were saying about the, um, the real, you know, how real it is or real it, it looks. Is it, you know, you like you said, you, know, you look at these other baseball movies, and you can tell the guys can't, you know, carry a glove or swing a bat sometimes. Yeah. But, uh, Jamie Don Weeks, and I, he's a, I can't think of the actor's name right now. Uh, um, Dermot Mulroney. Yeah. Um, and he is, he looks like he's a ball player. Yeah. I mean, when, he, when he's stealing the ground balls, it, it is uh, legit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and he, that guy actually went on to be a fairly, he's, he's in several other movies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll move on. We can always talk about Long Gone uh, any day of the week, but we're mainly here to talk about Cardinal baseball. That's the main focus of this podcast. Um, you know, the blogging that I do, it's not directly affiliated with the podcast at all, but the blogging I do um, is almost all Cardinal focused. And so we wanted to mainly talk about that today and then I sent Scott kind of a little bit of a brief outline but we'll just kind of see where the conversation takes us and the first topic that uh, we were going to start with was just to kind of place ourselves as fans in the the larger context of the of Cardinal history and Cardinal lore and you know my I'm five years older than Scott and so my first real clear memories of Cardinal baseball came from the 85 and the 87 teams. I mean, even 82, when they won the World Series, I really don't have any recollection of that, of watching those games. I mean, I would have only been probably, uh, I guess, six years old or so. So really didn't have any connection with that team. But with 85 and 87, I remember, you know, watching those games. I recall, you know, Jack Clark and Ozzie Smith and Go Crazy folks. I mean, I have a a memory of that. So I wanted to just with you being five years younger than me, of course, I mean, even those 85 and 87 years, you would have been a pretty young kid. So what, what are some of your initial teams and players and kind of, uh, you know, that you identify with? Well, well it's, it's kind of weird. Um, but you know, like you said, I'm five years uh, younger. Uh, I was born in 81. So, and as, and as everybody listening to this, it's a Cardinal fan. Um, Cardinals weren't, uh, weren't much in the nineties. I mean, it was pretty, uh, pretty pretty bleak, especially the early, uh, early mid nineties. So while I remember players like, uh, you know, Ray Langford or Greg Jeffries or, you know, hard hitting Mark Witt and stuff (laughs) like that, I, I remember those guys, but really my baseball, um, memory and guys that I really loved were uh, Mark McGuire was my number one 
guy that uh, when I was a kid that I remember watching him and just I uh, just loved him hitting bombs and yeah him him the Bass Brothers you know Jose Canseco and even Barry Bonds you know he was kind of flashy and he would do that you know fly ball to him and he'd kind of swipe it out of the air with his yeah. glove and not you know um, those were kind of my it wasn't so much Cardinal centric really uh, uh-huh. in my in my early years it, it really didn't start. Um, pretty much almost until, you know, when Bill DeWitt took over the team and when McGuire came to St. Louis, um, obviously that raised my interest just because I was always a McGuire fan, but also that's when, that's kind of when, you know, it was exciting, you know, the whole, uh, Sosa McGuire home run chase, you know, revitalizing baseball. Yeah. That's when my, my real, you know, not love for the game because I always loved baseball. I always played it, but that's when I was started really paying attention to it. And, um, uh, some of my, you know, that's where my early years really formed and started, uh, um, really, really looking into the Cardinals and paying attention to every little thing and move. Was, yeah. You know, that, that McGuire era. Well, I'm sure you're not, not alone in that. I mean, McGuire coming over to the Cardinals, um, you know, and then, I guess when he came, Larusa had was already had been there for a couple of years. I think it was '96 that they had gone back to the playoffs after being, you know, out of the playoffs for a long time. And it was Larusa. I think that it was a team that had like Brian Jordan and yeah, uh, Ron Gant and guys like that. But then, yeah, I mean, of course, like with Mark McGuire coming over, that was, I think a huge, uh, for a lot of Cardinal fans. Um, and then, yeah, that also melded together with the beginning of the DeWitt era. What incidentally, again, uh, some of these questions, I think of them kind of putting you on the spot. We didn't talk about them ahead of time, but you know, when you talk about McGuire and, you know, bonds and being some of your early, uh, kind of idols in the game, what, where do you stand on kind of the PED era and the hall of fame and all that? I'll, I'll quickly, say that I've kind of come around to the point to just kind of put them all in to me, you know, if you want to put uh, something on the plaque, you know, basically saying that they played during the, the, you know, the PED era or something along those lines, but um, the hall of fame is not a, to me, a moral high ground place when I mean, there are players in there that have done a lot of different things. And at this point in time, these years in which, these guys did this. It was it was rampantly being you know used. You had pitchers using it. You had a lot of hitters using it, and even hitters that weren't hitting fifty or sixty home runs using it. So you still had to be a great baseball player um, to put up those kind of numbers. Some of those guys did. So anyway, yeah. Where do you where do you kind of stand on that? Uh, I'm I'm pretty much uh, locked up with you. When yeah. it first all came out, I was uh, you know. I'm trying to think when, you know, so that was like 2000. So I was like uh, 2001, maybe when it kind of all came to head. So I was 18. And, you know, I, I at first I was kind of like, you know, yeah, these guys cheated. They, they, they don't deserve. But as I've gone on, and like you said, it, they were all doing it. It's an error. You know, and all the players, pitchers, hitters, they were all, and you know, 
some did it better than others. And yeah. like you said, you know, put them all in. You know, you're telling me, you know, these guys don't belong. Well, there's other guys, like you said, in the Hall of Fame that are have done way worse things in life uh, than, you know, taking some um, pills or, you know, shooting up to get stronger and bigger yeah. and faster. So every it, it was an era of baseball. Yeah. There's there's all different types of eras of baseball, and that and that era was one that was the you know the PED era, and some guys did it better than others. You know, yeah. I can't I can't blame them. You know, you're sitting there uh, watching a guy that you know you might have be just as good of, and um, you you know that he just signed after hitting 50 home runs, he signs a giant contract, and you're making you know 10 million dollars less than him, and you know you. Uh, you're just as good, you know, I'm going to try it. Yeah. And I don't, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't really blame these guys. I think, especially in your ultra competitive, and I'm sure you are when you make it to that level, you're going to, you know, try to do anything you can to um, get better. A, and then B, you know, you're again with money, you're looking at a guy that you know, you're just as good of. And, um, you know, you're going to try to do what you can to keep up with it and get paid and provide for your family and, and all those things. So I, I, at this point now, I don't, I don't really even care about, yeah. care about the whole uh, era and steroids. I McGuire, Bonds, Clemens, all of them. Yeah, they should be in the Hall of Fame. I um, the thing that the only thing that still gives me pause a little bit, and this is where I don't know if you need to have a special wing or some kind of thing that goes on the plaque. I mean, I know that that too comes with complications. I mean, if you're a Barry Bonds, you don't want something written on your plaque saying something about steroids. But the thing that gives me a little bit of pause or, you know, you know that there are guys who played through that era who didn't partake and yet they still were, you know, great ball players. Yeah. And it's, it seems, I don't know. It seems like those guys deserve somehow a little bit of additional, a praise or recognition. You think about like a Tony Gwynn. Um, although, I mean, his he started a little bit before, but he played through the the steroid era. Um, even yeah, though, well, like his, he was also never a big power hitter either. I mean, he was a you know hit for average, right? But I mean, he's a guy that you know you pretty can say pretty safely didn't didn't juice yeah. uh, Kirby Puckett is another name that came to mind. I mean, he's already in the hall. Well, so is Tony Gwynn, but you know, those are guys that uh, played in that same kind of time frame. Uh, but anyway, I, I we, no, I think it's tough. we it's, generally it's, agree. It's, tough. it's a slippery slope. I get what you're saying. You know, there are certain guys that, you know, probably didn't and they're, they can sit there and say, well, I didn't do anything. And, you know, why should these guys go ahead of me and this and that? I, I get that. But yeah. um, overall, yeah, maybe you can do it to some sort of put something on the plaque. You know, this player played in this, you know, during a era where it was going on. I don't know how you would exactly word it, but I'm sure there's some way you could do it to um, to make it work. Yeah. But I don't know. Okay, well, um, let's – so we've got – um, kind of a connected next item, which fits a little bit with what you were just saying about your kind of when you came of age as a Cardinal fan and really got into it. You know, the your 
your main Cardinal fandom, and then also certainly a great portion of mine, um, has come during the, the Bill DeWitt era. DeWitt took um, control of the franchise in 95, and uh, of course, uh, you know, so the majority of our lives as Cardinal fans, Bill DeWitt has been the majority owner, and what uh, this is a this is a power packed question, and we I don't know where exactly we'll dive off uh, from this question, but what what are sort of your overall characterizations and feelings of the of the Dewitt era? So ninety five through two thousand twenty. So we're talking about what uh, twenty five years. It's a nice round number. Well, I mean, it's a resounding uh, you know A plus. Yeah. From when he took over, um, and what the team has done throughout the years, the uh, the pennants, the World Series, um, even when you know they aren't in it, they're still in it. Towards the end, there hasn't been a season where you know they win sixty-five games or seventy games, and you know it's been uh, it's been really. Uh, um, They've been uh, consistent, yeah. remarkably consistent. And, um, you know, that's all you can, you know, fans go this way, they go that way. They want to, you know, they want to win a championship every year. If you don't get in, you know, then they then, then build the way it stinks. But I don't see it that way. If you look at uh, over the full tenure, there's no doubt about it that uh, his it's been a resounding success um, overall. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue too much with what you're saying. I think um, I think there are later on in the conversation we're going to get into. I think there are some legitimate uh, complaints that exist. I think there are some ways, especially in recent years, as uh, Major League Baseball has shifted. Um, and the industry has shifted and I'll, and I'll explain more what I mean by that. But I think there are some legitimate um, complaints and concerns that can be put out there. But still, if you're talking about an overall record of success uh, over the course of, you know, the 25 years he's been the owner, uh, it is hard to give anything but an A plus. You look at the, you know, the playoff appearances, the World Series appearances, World Series victories. And like you say, I mean, they've never gone through a tanking period like a lot of these franchises have had to do. They've they've stayed at a consistently high level uh, throughout all those years. And um, it's really it's hard, it's hard to argue overall with the success of the franchise. Um what I mean by the industry changing, and, and again, I kind of want to save some of the criticisms that I do think are legitimate for a little bit later in the conversation here, but uh, the industry, there was a point in time when the Cardinals took advantage of an industry where teams were willing to offload superstar-type talent uh, for not really huge returns, just in order to... Uh, cut payroll. I mean, you look at uh, the acquisition of Larry Walker, even, you know, Mark McGuire uh, was this way. I mean, when the Cardinals gave, you know, a couple of very just average prospects 
these were not guys that were highly thought of for Mark McGuire. I mean, Larry Walker, um, Scott Rowland, you know, they Jim got Edmonds. Jim Edmonds, uh, you know, so this was an era where a lot of teams were, you know, when they had players of this ilk that they knew were going to be due for a bigger payday, they would give them up for very little. Um, and you see that shift that has shifted. Um, there's a lot of, um, uh, value now placed on you know gaining if, if a team is going to deal a guy they want a huge haul in return i mean if you wanted to get there's been recent talk that arenado is being made available by the rockies and he has a he has an opt-out after two more years of his contract current one and uh but i mean if you want arenado you better come with a huge package of of big time prospects and probably, you know, two or three, four of them. So in that sense, uh, it's, I think it's harder nowadays to get marquee players. And that's, you know, the idea of marquee players is something we're going to get into a little bit later and talking about the Cardinals. But uh, anyway, I just think the, the industry has shifted a little bit and it's made it a little bit harder. Uh, and that's also during that time has coincided with the Cardinals not winning as much as maybe they did in the early 2000s and up through 2011 when they won the World Series. Um, Scott, I'm going to uh, – the the platform I use this Anchor, you can only record bits of 30 minutes at a time. So – I'm going to stop the recording now for people listening. We'll just, you know, they'll basically just pick it back up right from where we leave off. But I just want to tell you, I should have told you this before we started that I'll stop the recording. And then what you do is you just like meld it together with your next segment. And so people listening, you know, there's no, there's no break. They just keep listening to the same thing, but I'm going to stop recording just so you know. All right. Okay. All right. Okay, so moving on, uh, the next topic that we had discussed ahead of time was just to talk a bit about uh, the Albert Pujols legacy. Um, our, we're of the age, and uh, as fans, where we will always be able to say that, you know, for the all the years that Albert Pujols was in a Cardinal uniform, that we were essentially, you know, diehard fans watching every at bat, watching, you know, sort of his every move, reading about him, seeing him. And so uh, this is kind of a broad question, but we'll, we'll dive uh, deeper into it. But what are maybe just some of your reflections upon uh, the Albert Pujols era in St. Louis? Uh, just like his nickname was, he was an absolute machine. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen, even to this day, guys, uh, you know, your top players in today's baseball. I don't see anybody that matches up with Pools. Um, he came in, what year did he come in? 2003? Um, 2004? I want to say three, but I'm going to fact check us here. Uh, but I mean, from the time he came up, um, 
pretty much until he left the Cardinals um, to go to the Angels. And um, those, what was it, 10, 11 years were probably the best 10, 11 years an organization has got from a player. Yeah. Um, he was, without a doubt, the best player in baseball. Well, uh, let me step back a little bit. You still, going back to the steroid talk, uh, I think Poles had two MVPs, maybe even, I can't remember exactly, but I know during that time he was going up against Bonds, and obviously Bonds was at a different level um, of hitter, but, um, and he definitely stole a couple MVPs away from Pools, but uh, Pools was, without a doubt, if, if not the top player in baseball, uh, take Bonds out of the equation, and uh, he was definitely the top. And just a quick little stats here. Um, if you look at the top player right now, resoundingly, most people would say is Mike Trout. Right. Um, their first thousand games, Pools and Mike Trout. Uh, first thousand games, Pools hit three thirty. Trout Trout hit three oh eight. Uh, Pools had seven hundred eighty nine runs scored. Uh, Trout seven fifty four. Um, pools twelve hundred thirty five hits. Mike Trout eleven hundred twenty six. Home runs, Pools had 266, Trout had 224, and um, OPS, uh, Pools was uh, 1,041.040 OPS, and Trout was 989. I mean, that's, some. they're close, but that just kind of goes to show you, you know, people that didn't really uh, see Pools play and kind of grew up in the Trout era, thinking the Trout was, you know, uh, which he is an uh, unbelievable player, but this kind of gives you a metric of how good Pujols was. You know, he uh, how much more you know better his stats are than even Trout's. And Trout is looked at as one of the best players in this era. Pujols kind of uh, crushes him in every uh, big metric there. Yeah. Um, so I've got his Baseball Reference page up too, and. It's uh, it was actually 2001. We were both off on that. It was his first year, and then he played 11 years in a carbon uniform. And I mean, yeah, I, what you said in terms of especially the first 11 years of a player's career from year one through year 11, it's hard to imagine. You know, and you look at the numbers. I'm sure it's he's right up there among the top one or two players of all time in terms of the first 11 years of their career. Um, and, you know, I mean, even the Angels numbers have been better than a lot of people realize, I think. Um, I mean, this is a guy who as recently as 2015 hit 40 home runs. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you mentioned MVP and Bonds and, yeah, he, he won three MVPs, Pujols, while finishing second, uh, one, two, three, four more times, and I don't know. I don't know for sure if all of those were uh, Bonds. I'm, I'm assuming at least two or three of them were second to Bonds. But uh, now that kind of brings the whole little PEB thing we talked about earlier back into the play because um, you know there was never really any kind of. You know, no evidence whatsoever, no 
you know, no link or connection with pools and PEDs. Uh, there were some whisperings about his age, but but never anything about PEDs. And so that's just kind of, you know, you think back again, and let's say Barry Bonds wasn't on PEDs and didn't put up the numbers that he did. I mean, what if Pools would have won, I mean, seven MVPs? My God. Well, here, then, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Here, I, just looked, I just looked it up real quick. Bonds won MVP. Uh, 2001, 2002, 2003, and 2004. So he won MVP four years in a row. Yeah. And, and two the goals came in 2001. I guarantee some of those second-place finishes was those four years. Bonds yeah. won it um, four years in a row. So well, 2003, he usually could have had, you know, five or six. I mean, yeah. that's pretty crazy. Yeah, 2002 and 2003, he finished second. He finished second again in 2006. That was behind Ryan Howard. And then, you know, he won in, in five. He won in eight and nine. He went back to back. And then in 10, again, he was yeah. second. In 2010, he was second. And that was, and that was to bottom. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the thing that when you, you think about, you know, the, the pure baseball aspect of it and you know you and I played the game and you know have coached the game at a high school legion level I was around some college ball for a bit you know you played with a lot of guys who went on to play in college and uh, so we have a little bit of perspective the thing that always stood out to me on pools was just his like selectiveness and his and and actually when he started some of the at-bats I've seen him since his kind of downturn has uh, occurred. And when, I mean, again, when I say downturn, it's, we're, we're talking relatively, but I mean, in, in uh, Los Angeles, since 2015, he's hit 244, 268, 241, 245, 244. So in terms of batting average, I mean, there's no doubt that there's been a downturn. And uh, of course, age plays a big factor with that, but, what I see too is that the the plate uh, awareness and selectiveness that was always to me. You just never saw Pujols when he was a Cardinal during those eleven years. You rarely saw the guy look off balance or chase pitches, you know, sliders out of the zone, or um, he just always seemed to be in control in the batter's box and never seemed to be, you know, even you watch some of the good hitters and you take a look at like Goldschmidt as maybe being the best hitter on the Cardinals right now. There are at bats where I watch Goldschmidt and you can just tell, you know, after strike one or strike two, you can just see like, you know, coach, he's not going to hit this guy. This guy's got Goldschmidt on the ropes. You never, felt that way with pools. I mean, he just always was in control of the at-bat. So that's the thing that will always stand out to me. And you just never wanted to miss one of his at-bats. I mean, you'd be sitting around on a Saturday afternoon and, you know, oh, when's pools coming up this inning? Okay. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to go anywhere yet. I'm going to, you know, and that's just, that's a once in a generation type of talent. Yeah. And, uh, to, uh, uh, going further, just a real quick, uh, I don't know, uh, 
kind of finish up or to look at one one major thing that I just found that Fools never has never in his career struck out a hundred times in a season. Uh, his 2001 his rookie year, he struck out 93 times. That was the closest. After that, it was uh, that's crazy. Higher 69, 65, 52, 65, 50, and I, I'm kind of surprised since he's been to the Angels. He doesn't. He one year with the Angels, he struck out 93 times. But he's never other, even after that 65, 68. That's with playing a pretty <laughs> decent amount of games too. So he's never struck out over a hundred times. And when you're walking more than you're striking out, I mean, that tells you right there that what kind of uh, hitter he is and the eye he has and, uh, you know, not chasing pitches out of the zone and stuff like that. So, yeah. 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 He had three years in a row with the Cardinals where he struck out, uh, walked over a hundred times, you know, but then only struck out, well, he was one year 104 and 54, another year 115 and 64, and then the next year 103 and 76. The um, Before we move on from pools, now this is uh, an argument you've probably heard from me before, but I, since you and I have uh, this opportunity on the, this podcast to talk it over, I mean, his departure, there's something that has always bothered me about it. And, um, you know, there's this post-narrative that I feel like the Cardinals have pushed or, you know, when they have the opportunity, they, they'll they'll kind of stand behind it. And it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, the Cardinals made a good choice in not giving him a, a long-term contract and they, they were smart and, um, and not extend, you know, and not re-signing him. And that look at the players, you know, they've been able to, to bring in that they wouldn't have been able to do if they would have tied up all that money in pool holes and da, 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 da. And like I said, I feel like the Cardinals at times have kind of uh, stood behind this uh, opinion. And the thing that always bothers me about that is the reports. I mean, if you go back and you look at the reporting and you look at the, the real time information that was coming out, is that the Cardinals did make a 10-year, I think a 205 or $210 million offer. So they made a 10-year offer to him, but it wasn't, you know, the 250 or 260 he ended up getting from the Angels. Uh, so to me, it kind of comes down to two things. Either, either they were lucky that he didn't take it, um, in terms of the whole kind of, you know, what, what it might've done to the payroll otherwise. And, you know, the, how, who knows how much first base he would have been able to play in the national league. I mean, he's done a lot of DHing through his injuries, uh, with the angels. Um, but it's, it's either they were lucky that he didn't take it and that he would still be a Cardinal today, or they knew that that offer was going to be Trump. They knew that, it, you know, somebody was going to outbid them and the offer was made sort of just to say, Hey, you know, Hey, oh, look, we, we made an offer here. Look, you know, we tried, we, we made our best offer, but we just weren't going to go, you know, to two sixty, two seventy range he got from the angels. So I don't know. It just to me, it seems a bit disingenuous. Like you either, you either got lucky. You weren't really smart. You made him an offer. Had you come out at the time and said, you know, Hey, look, we're not, we love Albert Pujols. He's an all-time great Cardinal. 
but you know we're just not going to commit a 10-year contract to a player of his age thank you for the memories albert if they just would have come out and said that to me i would have respected it more than this idea of you know well let's they, they but they but they made an offer they made a 10-year offer about of 200 205 million so again to repeat myself to me they either they either got lucky that he didn't accept that offer or it was a disingenuous offer just kind of made to to sort of show that they tried what what are your some of your thoughts on that yeah i, I think overall it's probably best that they didn't sign him um in the long run overall but you know, I think it was. I, I, I also didn't they like that they didn't get into contract talks with him. You know, they kind of waited almost till the almost like kind of the last hour before they. There was no really talks during the season or the or off season before his last year. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, there was that uh, not documentary, but the show Pools went on. I think Pools kind of even made reference like that. You know, they didn't talk to him. Uh, yeah over uh you know the the season before the off season before his last year i don't know i am with you i kind of go both ways on it i think you know i think the contract was 10 years 240 million um i could be off on that but you know you look at that back then i mean it was astounding but and it, it still is it's a big number but now the as salaries go up and up and up i mean he's averaging 24 million a year you know, some could argue that the Cardinals would have made that money back hand over fist if he stayed with the Cardinals being a generational player when he hits the, you know, the, the, uh, all the marquee stats, the 3000 hits, the 600 or whatever he's at now, home runs, you know, all the stuff they could Cardinals could have sold, sold, uh, sold merchandise for, which, you know, the, the Cardinals fan probably would have bought up, uh, with no problem. So there was a business aspect to it too. I think that they could have, uh, made up some money for in that contract but no I, I think overall it was probably best um you, you never know you got the rumors about the age maybe he's older than he really was you know who really knows but i think the cardinals got the absolute best out of pool holes for those years and you know they i think they kind of knew that they weren't they didn't want to pay for those later years that you know he was going to be nearly as productive and, yeah you know i think that's what they did and you know, I think overall it was the best. It would, have, it would have been nice to have him in a Cardinals uniform and have a statue outside of Bush Stadium next to next to Stan Usual. But you know, in this day and age of baseball, it just it, I think he was uh, the wrong era. Yeah. <laughs> I think any other time he probably would have stayed around, but you know, it, yeah, it, uh, wasn't uh, wasn't made to be. No, I think it was definitely the right move, but I not to belabor the point. I just think then just. Just stand up to that move. You no, know, just, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. They, they just be more straightforward. But you know, they got to play the PR game and say, you know, look, St. Louis Cardinals fans, we offered him a contract. Now yeah. Pools is a bad guy for you know turning it down. Yeah, or or you know, we offered him it, but another team blew blew him out of the water and they paid him a lot more. And um, you know, we we just weren't going to go that high. And you know, hey, we we gave it a shot, which to me is kind of way too often the the cardinal rhetoric when they miss out on a free agent in general which maybe i know that we have a little bit of you and i both have 
kids and uh, we have a little bit of a limited window. We can't just keep going all day as much as we'd like to. So uh, there's a couple other topics I want to make sure we get to, and maybe we'll use my last comment there as a transition into the next thing where I want to kind of get into more of the recent uh, history. Um, You had uh, a three-year run from 2016 through 2018 where the Cardinals uh, had missed the playoffs three straight years. And then in uh, Cardinal universe, that's, that's a, a really big deal. There was a lot of talk, um, you know, during the 2018 season that if they didn't make the playoffs, that it could be Matheny's last year. Now they ended up making that change and firing him, him uh, in season, not even letting him finish the season. But uh, even going into 2019, there were some whisperings and kind of some, you know, questions about, you know, could Mosaloc, uh, and I, I don't think he was in danger, but there were questions kind of, you know, if the Cardinals don't make the playoffs in 2019, could Mosaloc's job be in jeopardy? And, you know, but of course, all that has been put to rest. They, 2019, they go back to the playoffs. They win the division, albeit by one game on the last day of the season, but they win the division. They go to the playoffs. They get to the NLCS where they were you know, pretty much embarrassed in the NLCS. You could probably use that adjective. And um, so, yeah, I mean, some of your – see, how do I want to frame the, this, the conversation, this question? What When you think about just sort of the recent history, if we go back three, four years and um, what are – what do you think are some of the issues the Cardinals have? What are some of the perhaps legitimate complaints that, that you hear in the media and, and through the different fans you interact with, things that you think uh, are legitimate or things that you think are illegitimate? Well, it's, yeah, like you said, it's kind of a, it's a broad, <laughs> you know, broad uh, spectrum to yeah. go over with, but um you take the last three years, now uh, four years, if you take last year in account when they made the NLCS, um, it's a multitude of problems. Um, now, the Cardinals, even when they didn't make the playoffs, as we talked before uh, about DeWitt and kind of his legacy, I mean, they were still in it. Um, you know, even up until the final you know month of the season, they were there with a chance to do it. The problem, in my estimation overall is um, bad contracts and young hitters. They, they've seemed to do pretty well with their young pitchers um, and continued to um, and bringing them up through the system and having, and having their young pitchers be successful. But they haven't really had a, well, a pool host is a bunch of a generational player, but they haven't really had that young up-and-coming stud that has panned out. Now, they've had guys where, you know, Piscotti they thought was going to be the answer, and then they give him a contract, and then they move him, and then, you know, it was uh, Tommy Pham, which a lot of people could argue that Pham probably should still be on this team. Um, But they just they kept giving contracts to guys that young players that maybe had a good six months or a good year, and then after that, they're not – you know what they were. It's like 
part of me was like, let these guys, if I would rather pay more money on the back end while still getting a discount, but make some of these young players prove that they can, that they are the real deal. And they've had too many young bats that have not panned out. And then, uh, and then on top of that, uh, double that with the contracts, you know, the Dexter Fowler contract. Now Dexter Fowler is a, you know, serviceable player, but he's, you give him five years, 82 million. I mean, he's making almost 17 million this year, 17 million next year. And you, on top of that the Matt Carpenter deal which they gave him extension for some reason that they didn't really have to yeah. um, now he's making almost 19 million a year Brett Cecil didn't work out Andrew Miller you know he was okay last year but I don't know you're, you're giving these these contracts Miles Michaelis now he had a great first year and this kind of goes back to what I'm saying he was, he was decent last year but now they signed him early what if he blows up yeah. Um, hopefully he returns to that first year. Uh, you know, I guess maybe I shouldn't put Michaelis in it yet. It's, he's not, um, maybe not enough time yet to go over that. But still, they gave him. He had one good year, and they gave him a big contract. So that's yeah. That's my only thing with, with contracts and young players that haven't really panned out um, has been kind of their bugaboo, and I think they're trying to catch up. Um. You know, playing catch up a little bit with the contracts they've given out, and I think you got to start playing some of these young players and make them prove it. But you got to also um, not just give them a you know an extension contract after you know six months of good, good baseball. Yeah, so um, some good thoughts there. I I, um, I think that there's. Part of it that is their fault, and then part of it that that they can't necessarily be blamed for. Um, but yeah, I think the, the spending they've. I just I'm trying to decide if I want to get into this. I I did I don't not to plug my blog here. It's not the point, but I did I wrote something up recently where basically like kind of just identifying factions of fans and I, I'm going to run through them real quick. And um, so you have this f- faction of fans that thinks that every move made by other teams is one that the Cardinals should have made. Um, okay. Then you've got the Cardinals are cheap. Uh, you've got a crowd that just, you know, they're cheap, they're cheap, they're cheap. Then you've got sort of the anti group that is always saying, well, I like this player, but not for that much money. And it's like they're DeWitt's accountants. They're worried about how much money you're going to pay a guy yeah. more, more so yeah. than more so than whether or not he's going to be able to help the team. You've got irrational people who kind of are like, you know, fire everybody, fire Mosaic. You know, this, these are kind of the, yeah, the perpetually negative people. Um, you've got probably the people the one that I would think you and I identify with probably would be sort of the people who just take a look more of like a big picture and kind of, you know, yes, acknowledge that there may be some things that are negative, but, but on the whole, the, the franchise is in good shape and that it's been competitive and so on and so forth. Um, 
you've then you've got a group of people who kind of want to go with this opinion that well you don't have the right to an opinion or to criticize if you still go to the games like if you don't like it stop going stop watching and um i have a problem with those with those people who say that but anyway those are just some different uh groups that are out there and uh i wanted to mention those because for me, I, you know, like I said, I kind of fall into that big picture category and going back to what you said, I think, um, yes, they have not been successful in, in finding that young talent. Now, is that completely their fault? Is that, you know, a product of other different factors? I think, uh, you can't completely lay the blame on that, you know, just on the Cardinals because, you know, there's certain guys that, you know, they have to take on the responsibility of themselves as players as well. Uh, you know, did the Cardinals make Albert Pujols a once-in-a-generational player or did Albert Pujols make himself a once-in-a-generation player? I, I mean, I would say that it was Pujols that did it. And, you know, so yeah. you, you you don't always know, but I think you hit on one thing that the Cardinals just – you look around at – you know, just let's say last season and like the, the Yankees, uh, Astros, um, Dodgers and Nationals, those were the, um, those were some of the other playoff teams. And, or even if you just look at the Nationals who beat us and then what was it in the AL, the Yankees and the Astros. Yeah. Um, and you just look at some of the homegrown talent just studs uh, on some of those clubs. I mean, um, with the Astros and Correa, Altuve, Springer, uh, these are all homegrown, you know, Houston Astros. Uh, and the other uh, the rookie that came up this year hit a ton of home runs. Yeah, Alvarez. Huge, uh, yeah, Alvarez. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you look at uh, – you look at the Yankees and I mean, they've got some guys that they've brought in, but they also have some homegrown uh, studs as well. Uh, Gary Sanchez. Um, what's the Glaber uh, Torres. Torres. Um, uh, Aaron judge. I mean, he's a, yeah, there you go. Um, um, Severino was a Yankee product, I believe. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, then even the Nationals, you know, the Strasburg. Um, now Scherzer was a free agent signing, but Strasburg, and they've got a couple of that young uh, outfielders that have come up through their system. The Robles looks like he's going to be a stud. Trey Turner. So these are everyday all-star caliber players that uh, you have to have on your franchise. You cannot just go out and sign huge free agents to fill every hole on your team. And the Cardinals have not really been, yeah, I mean, like you said, successful. And they, each time you think they found a guy um, that might be that next guy, he you know tends to fizzle out or not do what is quite expected of him, and then they move on to the next guy. I mean, especially in the outfield, they've just – kept kind of turning that group over year after year, never quite settling on uh, a group. Okay. We had to take another quick break there, but for those listening, it'll come right back uh, to it. So um, just one, we want to talk a little bit about the 2020 outlook, but 
one last point there. I was a little long-winded on that point, but uh, you talk about, I wish they would spend money smarter. They're not cheap. Uh, you know, you mentioned you went through Fowler, the extension to Carpenter, uh, Cecil, you know, Miller. They've given out, you know, mid-range money to some very average to mediocre players. Goldschmidt, they just gave Goldschmidt. Well, they gave Goldschmidt. And um, so they're not cheap. I think that that is a very uh, lazy viewpoint. You're not really looking at the facts if you feel that way. But they need to be smarter. We, uh, Fowler, Carpenter, and Cecil. That's $43 million in the 2020 team uh, payroll. $43 million. Now imagine the kind of player you could have or two players you could have for $43 million. So they need to, they need to spend smarter. They, they, they've been jumping a little bit too much at perceived need. Uh, the outfield would have been completely fine without Dexter Fowler. They, they overreach there. I don't, the carpenter signing is a whole nother topic. Uh, the, that extension, we I don't even want to get into that. Cause that was just, it made no sense. And then, you know, these left-hand relievers, left-hand relievers you can find on trees. And to, to me, to give you know, big money to Cecil, to Miller, um, and especially when Miller was clearly kind of past his prime, $43 million. So my, my thing is just like they, they passed on Harper. Apparently didn't even engage with Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, same way this offseason, you know, uh, no connection whatsoever with the Cardinals to Rendon or any of these other top bats. And it's like, yeah, but you know, so somebody might say, well, you, you know, you can't pay Bryce Harper 35 million a year. That's going to ruin your payroll. Well, they, they're paying these three guys, you know, yeah, three guys that aren't doing really much that aren't doing anything. 43 million. And it's like, I mean, I, I understand then the argument becomes, yeah, but you know, Harper's you have them for 10 years and it's not, but I don't know. I mean, even on a year to year basis, the Cardinals tend to make these, you know, just need moves where they'll give a guy five, six, eight, ten million, 10 million. And it's not even a guy that's really that helpful to your organization. So why not pay 30 million, 35 million to a transformative talent? you know, like a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado. And there's going to be more guys coming in the next few years, Lindor and, um, you know, there's others, of course, as well that will be coming. So I, I, to me, it's, you know, spend money smarter. They, they spend money, but they need to spend it smarter. So well, also, and just real quick. I yeah, sure. Go ahead. I'm going to get going here in a little bit. But so to your point, you know, people can judge, you know, say what they want about Harper. And I was one. I, I'm, I wasn't uh, – you know, totally sold on it. Uh, I, I would like Harper as long as Cardinals didn't then sign him and then use it as a crutch for not doing anything else. But when you say you could spend smarter, you're spending money on Harper or if you, if you would have, you know, he was 26, 27 years old. That's yeah. a lot different than giving, you know, five, six, seven years to a guy that's 32 years old or 31. Like they just uh, did to Goldschmidt. Like they did to Goldschmidt. And, you know, it's, why not give a younger guy more money when he's going to have better years or 
should theoretically um, at that age than someone that's older. And hopefully last year was just an outlier, but Goldschmidt did not have his best year last year. Hopefully he jumps back and has a regular Goldschmidt year, but if he doesn't and then doesn't again, and does, I mean, that's all I'm saying. I, I would, if I, I don't mind giving big contracts, um, but and sometimes you got to bite the bullet, even if they are 31, 32, yeah. I understand that. But yeah, like you said, spend, spend a little smarter. It's definitely been, has not been what they've been doing the last uh, handful of years. Well, Bryce Harper was 26 last year playing as a yes. free agent signing. I mean, he was 26, yeah. and, and, I mean, he hit 35 homers and 114 RBIs. I mean, you know, a lot of people well, downplayed his year, but, you and know. Another, and another quick aside to that is when people don't also take into account maybe they should do, a player like Bryce Harper and his celebrity and his – Cardinals can sell that. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't tell me that the Cardinals can't make some of that money back and jersey sales and whatever else. It, it, it's possible, and a player like that will do that. Well, this is this will be our last point on this, and we'll talk a little bit of quick for 2020. But this is another one where it just kills me. I get so frustrated where you'll see, I mean, fans and and even even the front office sometimes you'll kind of get this sense. You know, there there was talk, um, you know, oh well, if the price point could come down to 25 million for Bryce Harper, the Cardinals should be in on it. But if it's 35, and then oh no, that's way too much. You can't. That is the most asinine argument I've ever heard, and I feel like the front office even gets into that sometimes. It's like, well, if we can get this guy for, you know, fifteen million a year, yeah, we're in on it. But if it's going to be twenty-two, no way. Well, come. I mean, this is back to so when you think of payroll on a yearly basis, you can't necessarily think of payroll on the the long game. But payroll changes year to year, and so when you think of it on a year to year basis, so you're telling me that, you know. You'll pay uh, Brett Cecil seven million a year. You'll pay Jonathan Broxton uh, five million a year. A few years back, they gave him a contract for five million a year. You'll pay, you know, you know some of these just also ran type guys. You'll sign them for five, six, seven million a year, but you, but you won't go an extra ten for for a Bryce Harper or for you know Max Scherzer or for you know any of these guys, Garrett Cole. Yeah. That Garrett Cole is not really a good example, but it—that's what that argument just always gets to me. It's like, oh, I'd be in on this guy for twenty million, but if it's thirty million, no way. Well, are you kidding me? If you if you want the player and you think he's going to help you, the extra ten million is not that big a deal. Well, especially would you? Let me. Sorry, I know we keep on that. <laughs> would you rather have Bryce Harper? Or would you rather have Dexter Fa- or would you rather have Dexter Fowler and Matt Harper? Yeah, Bryce Harper. Because that, that's basically <laughs> the salary right there. Yeah. And you can put Tommy, you know, Tommy Edmond and, and and then he's playing instead of Carpenter. I mean, that's the kind of decisions that, you know, whatever. I know we've gone yeah. too long, but yeah, it's just kind of to show you, you know, No, this coming this coming year he makes twenty seven million. And, you know, what do we say Fowler and, and Carpenter make more than that, so yeah, 30-something. Um, all right, so to finish up here, we'll uh, – 2020 Cardinals, uh, let's just go through some quick thoughts, and maybe next podcast we do together we can get a little deeper into the outlook and maybe talk some other stuff as well. Um, but uh, 
haven't made much many moves in the offseason. There's still some whisperings that they might be looking into Ozuna still. But um, quick uh, quick thoughts or any kind of feelings about the upcoming season uh, that you have? Uh, I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I don't get it. It's the one offseason that they have some pitching. Um, that was proven last year. They pit, they they didn't pitch bad last year. Pitching was why they made the playoffs. Yep. Um, they couldn't hit, and there are glaring needs um, in the outfield, especially. And right now, uh, it looks like they're just saying, "Okay, this is you know this is our team." Well, I don't know. I, I just uh, this is kind of the first off season where now. This goes back. I don't want them to just go appease the fan base and be like, oh, let's throw, you know, X amount of dollars to some, you know, average player and give them three or four years, and then you're stuck with that again. Yeah. So I'm kind of talking both sides out, out of both sides of my mouth a little bit. But I just there, – there's glaring needs. They haven't been in on really anything. If they are going to play young players, then play them. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't give me this. The Dylan Carlson is some just super stud, and he's our you know best prospect since you know whoever. And then you're going to sit him for the first two months of the season or whatever, so he doesn't uh, his clock doesn't start. Yeah. You know, I'm, that's another thing. It's like if Dylan Carlson is is truly one of your best outfielders, and that's and he you really feel like he's going to help the team out, and this team desperately needs offense and bat, then play him. Yeah. You know. Then, then he's got to be on the team. Um, I don't know. I just I'm kind of perplexed. I think I think right now we're almost looking at a similar team that we did last year, where the pitching is probably going to be pretty good, and the offense is really up. And by the way, your minus is in still too, so you're you, you don't even have a a legit another legit power back to go along with uh, to go along with Goldschmidt. Yeah, um, so I'll try to be quick, too, in response. I know we need to finish up, but um, I I was kind of expecting that they would try to gain some more certainty in the outfield this offseason by, you know, they have all of these talented prospects, Carlson being kind of an untouchable, but then they've got Tyler O'Neill, they've got Randy Rosarina, they've got Bader, They've got Lane Thomas, who's another you know fairly well thought of prospect, who had some time uh, in the big leagues this year, um, and uh, even uh, well they they got rid of the one guy uh, recently just for cash, but there are a couple other outfield prospects as well, and I kind of felt like it was primed to package a couple of those guys for a more certain outfield option, a guy that would be in the, in the lineup day daily. And uh, it never doesn't seem like that's going to come to fruition. Um, you know, basically you take a strength and you turn that into a bit of some certainty. So yeah, now you're back to this thing where in the outfield, if they don't resign Ozuna is going to be just sort of this, cluster of players and you don't know but but if that's the case then then commit to it and play them i mean what 
I didn't the, all these guys they're talking about that they're excited for for this year. They were around last year. You know, I mean, yeah. Randy Rosarina was hitting 360 in Memphis the whole year. Uh, Lane Thomas was in Memphis the whole year. Um, you know, these guys were were there. They were available. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, you know, he was. But heck, they'd bring him up and then they wouldn't play him. Tyler O'Neill would sit. Lane Thomas would sit. There was one stretch where Lane Thomas was up for like uh, six weeks or two months and barely played, barely touched the field. So now these same players, they want to try to sell the fan base on. Well, you know, the, these are the guys. We got to see what they can do. I and to me, if you, I don't, I really don't want them to resign Ozuna because if you do, then my God, that just clutters up the whole group even more, and it blocks. Uh, the possibility of a Dylan Carlson being there. So I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm kind of like you with the offense. What, how, how are we supposed to feel like it's going to be any different or any better than last year? And, and yeah, at times last year, it was very difficult offense to watch. And then you have the, um, the very high profile NLCS where they just you know, couldn't hit for shit. And, striking out 13, 14 times a game and, you know, just that that star power quality that we talked about earlier in the podcast was just completely non-existent. You just never, you know, you just you look up and down the Cardinal lineup and you just don't see that danger, you know, that's there like you do with a Juan Soto and, uh, you know, Rendon and those guys. Of course, Rendon's moved on. But so, yeah, I don't see that it's going to be any change unless – uh, and this is kind of uh, you know a frustrating thing too. But unless you see guys just break out, and it's not completely outside the realm of possibility. I mean, a guy like Paul DeYoung could could potentially take a leap up and be um, you know an All Star caliber player. You you know you have the possibility of a Dylan Carlson, uh, Tyler O'Neill. I mean, it's another guy that. You know, has shown at times in his career big time power. Could he, could he step in and basically be Ozuna or be you know, even even bigger numbers in Ozuna? Like that's kind of what they're counting on. And so, but if, yeah. but if they're going to do that, then just come out and you know, just come out. Don't I know they're not going to come out and show their cards, but uh, then do that. Like you said, play your young guys. Play Tyler O'Neill. Let him hit. See what he's got. Yeah. Um, Tyler O'Neill's got crazy power i would love to see him get a chance but if you're going to do a chance if you're going to give him a chance let him play yeah. don't you know but then again you go back to it's you can just double talk yourself because then you say that then you got then they're playing dexter flower they're paying dexter fowler almost 17 million this year dexter fowler is going to play yeah. they're not going to pay him 17 million to sit on the bench unless they can find you know the other thing there's always a chance that you can do a you know a trade uh, maybe there's some underlying player that they can get rid of to unload some salary to have some playing time. Now, it, just real quick, you mentioned Ozuna. Why not a very similar player, and he's two years younger, and they're kind of waiting on each other to sign right now as a free agent? Why not Castellones? I mean, yeah. he's only he's 27. He's got just as much upside, and he's two years younger. You know, that could be a free agent, uh, but they – there's been no real talk of that, but I get what you're saying. It's uh, part of me is like either sign somebody or, you know, you got to get these young guys that they're hopefully counting on and let them play. 
you yeah. know, and just say, this is, you know, this is our team. We're going to win with pitching and hopefully these young guys come through. I, at some point you got to make some room and playing time for these guys. So, you know, what you got, well, I, I think that is kind of what they're, they're doing, but they're not coming out and being so clear about it. But I, I think that, but here's where, and I mean, Schilt comes into this as well too, because he makes out the lineup card, but okay. That's your philosophy. You're going to see if these young guys are going to blossom who, okay, well then don't keep running Dexter Fowler out there day after day when he's hitting two thirty. Uh, don't play, you know, Jose Martinez day after day with his defensive liability. He's a pinch hitter. Uh, don't, I mean, even now he's a young guy too, but if Harrison Bader is hitting 220 after the first month, don't keep playing him day after day in center field um, like they did last year up until the point where they finally had to you know, send him down. He was so, you know, went under the Mendoza line, went under 200. Um, yeah. You know, make it a real competition. If, if Dylan Carlson's one of your best three, well, then play him every day. Like, I just don't know. If I have I, what I've seen in recent years, it's like if you're going to play the best three, then then play the best three. Don't be influenced by by other stuff. So yeah, no, I I, I agree, and uh, hopefully they'll do that. You know, that's wait and see. Hopefully, there's a move that they can make, or um, hopefully some of these young guys come to fruition, or. Hopefully they're right about Carpenter. Maybe, you know, hopefully Carpenter bounces back. And, yeah. you know, even uh, if he's half as good as he as bad or, you know, he was terrible last year, but if he's half as good as he was the year before, I mean, that improves the lineup and the offense looks a little bit, you know, better. But, you know, those are guys they're counting on that, you know, well, well, the only time will tell is if, if they were right or, or not. Okay. Well, I think we could probably go on all day. This is, I've had a lot of fun with this. I, um, I did 10 of these podcasts on my own to kind of start off this uh, little podcast thing. Everybody seems to have one these days, but I am really into the uh, concept. And so I uh, really enjoyed enjoyed having you with me today, Scott. So I hope that you're, uh, you know, we can find some more time in the future to do more of these and, uh, and maybe get into some other topics. I know we were maybe going to try to talk a little wild card weekend, but we're going to probably run out of time there, but get into some NFL, maybe some, some uh, movie or TV talk. And, and obviously I think it's clear that we have uh, probably even more to say on, uh, on the Cardinal topics as well. Um, Cause I think we could have kept going even with that, but uh, we're going to finish it up for today. Um, Scott, anything you want to say before uh, we kind of close up shop? No, just uh, thanks for uh, having me on. It was a uh, it was a good time, good time uh, talking sports, and uh, yeah, hopefully I can do it again, and yeah, maybe even get into some other uh, other ventures. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, until next time, everybody. Thanks for listening.